Hello everyone, welcome back to Babylon 5 versus Deep Space 9, the galaxy's greatest podcast about the two great space station shows. This is Bob from Cascadia, I got Matt from the Southland on the line, how you doing tonight Matt? I'm doing alright, uh, Babylon 5 episode this week Bob, so much wasted potential and such a terrible subplot, just, ugh. <laughs> Aw, oh, oh. did 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 it did it hit a little close to home, Matt? Do you also feel like you need to go on a food plan? No, Bob, I don't need to go on a damn food plan. It's just it was I, so a food plan could be a good stupid. idea, Matt. You don't eat the right things, you don't eat them at the right times. Yeah, it, it, it was it was just that was just bad. The other part of the plot was actually really good, but it just equaled yeah. it so it just kind of balanced itself out, I guess, and put it in the in the mediocre range. So you can thank Dr. Franklin for that because they needed to shove him into it somehow. Yeah, yeah so Matt's complaining about uh, Babylon 5 Season 2 Episode 4, Distant Star, which premiered on the 23rd of November, 94. And we're also talking about DS9 Season 3 Episode 6, Abandoned, which premiered on the 31st of October, also 1994. My title for this Babylon 5 episode is The One Where the Crew is Put on a Diet. Yes, yes. So that uh, diet is the uh, the infamous B-plot where Dr. Franklin, who's very thirsty for a subplot, puts the entire senior staff on diets while Garibaldi attempts to smuggle the fresh ingredients for Italian fondue past customs and Dr. Franklin. Uh, meanwhile, in the A-plot, we have uh, Captain Jack Maynard and his long-range explorer-class ship, the Cortez, arriving at station and making Swamp Rat Sheridan question his decision to accept the Babylon 5 command. And then in a C-plot, we have the Babylon 5 Minbari, led by one named Tarun, distrusting Delenn's leadership after her transition into her more human-like form. Yeah, I mean, B-plot ruined this episode, so just, just going to keep <laughs> throwing that out there. So were you happy to see Dr. Jacoby from Twin Peaks uh, play a starship captain, Matt? Yeah, it really was. That's Dr. Amp himself. Twin Peaks a return. <laughs> it was awesome. He just needed a shovel, man. It would have really uh, completed it if he'd been trying to sell uh, Ivanova a shovel. And, you know, once she bought the shovel, she actually might have found good changes happened in her life. Not just a shovel, a, a spray-painted gold shovel. <laughs> yes, yes. That, that's a very important step. Although I I don't know if they you know can they have spray paint on explorer class ships? Who knows? I don't know, Bob. They can have Italian fondue smuggled in, <laughs> but only only on the Babylon Five station, Matt. They can have I'm sure they can have the same kind of stuff. But anyway, his character was like uh, his character was really interesting in that first shot of him with like the cowboy boots on the desk. You knew he was going to be kind of cool. Yeah, gotta love a man with cowboy boots. Yeah. I just didn't really understand his intentions of constantly like reminding Sheridan that you know Babylon Five was not what he originally signed up for. You know, he's not the out on the rim doing the adventurous stuff. You know, doing the whole Star Trek uh, Enterprise type stuff. He's more sitting on a station. Uh, we we see the same kind of thing with uh, you know in DS Nine. There's a pretty good comparison there with Cisco, who I think Cisco, you know, most people would probably sign up for Starfleet wanting to be you know that explorer type and not just stuck to a station. Yeah. I mean, I guess the charitable read is that, uh, Dr. Jacoby is a little disappointed in the path that Swamp Rat has taken 
and he wants to kind of like, you know, motivate him to get on a better path. But I get probably the, you know, more realistic interpretation is that Dr. Jacoby is uh, just the type of guy who, you know, likes to brag about how much money he's making or his new wife or his new car or whatever. And in this case, it's just the Cortez. Yeah. And for some reason, I, I don't know why this didn't come back up, but like, I guess was Dr. Jacoby's actual nickname Stinky? Is that, I think Ivanova says it at one point. Yes, I uh, I just couldn't say that with a straight face, so yeah, I have not, I couldn't uh, put, either. It was just bad. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad they didn't yeah. go back. Like, they went back to the swamp rat thing a couple of times, but the stinky never re- re- never came back. So I just kind of let it go. Yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, that's true. That's true. I I would have to say, as much as I enjoyed seeing Doctor Jacoby, the extras on the Cortez were oh god, they were so bad. They were so unequipped to like do convincing like. Uh, SF techno babble dialogue. Yeah, I feel like some college or something had a, like they they signed up for free, and <laughs> like you know what I mean. Like yeah, some uh, JMS was teaching like a creative writing class and gave all the students extra credit to do extra roles this week. Exactly. I really think that's probably what it was because they needed a whole crew, you know, and they're just like, hey, you you five or six people just come on aboard and. You just got to read this line and act like you're on a starship that's got fire and explosions behind you, but make it as wooden and dull as possible. Yeah, yeah, it was it was not great, man. It was not great. Yeah, um, I I sort of liked the design of the Cortez, uh, especially kind of liked how we saw that it was almost as long as Babylon Five in a few shots. But I think you were a little more displeased by it. Yeah, I, I wasn't impressed. I, I the ships. I guess it's just I'm I'm used to star trek ships and this the ship design there's just hideous it's not sexy at all it's just and that's a weird way to describe a starship but it just is not sleek it's just a big bulky it's something like it's like a lego creation like yeah. <laughs> well i mean i think that i think that's like kind of conscious aesthetic they're going for oh it like, is yeah like it's very yeah. obvious it is but it's just kind of like they want to make it almost like it's a mining rig or some shit like a like a nasty thing like you're not going to see it like flying around you know zapping people it, it does remind me of the textures they would put on star wars capital ships too but even in star Wars on star wars ships there tend to be like more fanciful things like, you know, you'll have, like, the X-Wing with, like, the four wings or, like, the the kind of general, like, texture and, like, forward-pointing shape of it reminds me of those medical frigates mm-hmm. from Star Wars. But even on that, like, the medical frigate in Star Wars is not just, like, a straight line. There's also a vertical line at the front, and so it gives you that kind of L shape, whereas here it's more just a straight-on line. They're just not that attractive to look at. I guess it's something like I would. I don't feel like I've, I would. I was collecting models of these ships. That would not be like I think I'd steer clear of Babylon Five. I don't think they'd be very neat on looking on a shelf. Oh, well, and it's kind of interesting that even in um, the Crusade, the spinoff where it's like centered on a starship. Like I think that if I remember right, the Excalibur in Crusade is a little prettier than these ships, but it's still you know in that kind of like rough like early days of space exploration aesthetic. I will say that the CGI has improved slightly since the first season. They must have gotten a bigger budget. Mm. Yeah, they might have, they might have changed firms. I can't remember. 
Uh, it looks a lot better. So are you happy uh, Dr. Franklin finally has a subplot? No, Bob. I, it was a stupid... Why don't they just kill him? <laughs> Can't they just... Sh- like, why couldn't he have been shot in the season finale? And like, who killed Dr. Franklin? Like, I don't... That'd be part of it. <laughs> I'm sorry. The character is pointless in the show. And it, putting him with this just makes it even worse. Now he's just filling up space and taking up air. Like, I just don't like it. There could have been so many... They could have expanded yeah. the Delin plot instead of putting Dr. Franklin there. Like, I don't... Eh, the... The it wasn't good, plot. I know, but it was well, better than the Dr. Yeah. Franklin plot. Eh, I don't know. I mean, like, Dr. Franklin, you'll get more attached to him, I think, as the show goes on. Although he still does tend to suffer from kind of, his subplots aren't usually this bad, but still, like, he's not exactly attracting the uh, best written subplots on the show. Let me say, the worst, the worst scene with Dr. Franklin in this episode is the one where the three leads, Garibaldi, Ivanova, and Sheridan, are sitting at a table, and they all have their, like, specific diet. But mm-hmm. each one has a diet that the other one would much rather eat, so they switch plates. And then Dr. Franklin walks by, and they immediately switch it back. And then um, Bruce Boxleiter is, like, shoving salad in his mouth. So, like, I, it just... That scene is so cringe, and that's when I realized that this subplot was going to you just uh, you just hate classical physical comedy, man. It's not classical; it's crap. It was awful that part. I mean, really, like I, I <laughs> especially considering like the scene before, Sheridan's like barking at Garibaldi about uh, for bringing up the uh, the shoplifting incident. Like Sheridan apparently yeah. doesn't want to know everything going on on the station. He just, you know, th- that's a big thing in this episode. Did you take that scene to be like an authentic difference between like Sheridan and Sinclair's command style? Or did you just take it to be that Sheridan's a little cranky after, you know, feeling shown up by Dr. Jacoby. So he, he wants to take it out on Garibaldi. Okay. I could, I thought this is what I thought. And I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I think that I thought it was legit. I didn't think it had anything to do with him being that upset about the Jacoby thing. But I don't know further ahead in the other episodes, so maybe maybe his style changed. Because he didn't really say anything to Ivanova that sounded as like harsh as he did to Garibaldi. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, he, he also has a pre-existing relationship with Ivanova, and he, he doesn't with Garibaldi. True. And see, I feel like that's part of it. In the previous episode, you know, he kind of tells Garibaldi he's not that great of a security officer. I think, if, you remember, <laughs> if I'm remembering correctly... That you know he did get shot in the back. He's had issues in the past. This well, his first... I mean, but he he consciously does want Garibaldi to stay on, even though Garibaldi has a checkered past and did get shot in the back. Yeah, probably because I mean because he because Garibaldi knows the station at least. He doesn't want to have to find a replacement to do you know. And the, you've yeah. who's the who's the replacement for Garibaldi? Uh, what's his, the the next guy in line Lou, would be Lou Welch. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Lou Welch is going to be much better. So eventually, Garibaldi will get a different deputy, and it'll be kind of curious to see what you think of that deputy. I don't know. I guess we'll have to maybe try and track that going forward. If it does it, I, I don't know that the season ever goes back to that idea. But it, maybe we could try and keep an eye out for yeah. how much like Sheridan actually has an authentic difference in command style from Sinclair versus this is just, you know, him acting out after getting shown up by Dr. Jacoby. Yeah. And it was kind of hard to even figure out in this gauge it in this one episode because it kept going back and forth between this like very serious plot of, uh, you know, people being lost in hyperspace and Sheridan having to weigh that on his shoulders because he, he loses two star furies, uh, two pilots versus what's he, what he needs to eat basically. <laughs> 
<laughs> just bad. Just bad. Speaking of uh, Lost Star Furies, did this episode make you any more sympathetic to Kiefer? Oh, God. Kiefer feels so tacked on at this point, but at least this episode he served a purpose because he's seen a shadow ship or whatever that thing is supposed to be. I don't know. Whatever it is in hyperspace, I don't know if that is the shadows or if that's the ship. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. It's the shadows. Okay. So at least he's, he, he's like the first person to really set eyes on that ship, I believe. So mm-hmm. now Maynard said he saw something out there. I don't know if that's some the same thing or something else, but, you know. Uh, I don't think it's ever clarified because, like you said earlier, uh, Dr. Jacoby, I don't, unless I'm totally forgetting, but I'm pretty sure no, I'm pretty sure Dr. Jacoby never uh, comes back to the show. But I, I think based on his description, yeah, it sounds like he saw a shadow ship as well. Yeah, and they never really clarified, but I, I just kind of assumed it was the same thing. My favorite line, though, from, from Kiefer, Kiefer is uh, they're all eating dinner and discussing hyperspace. Mm-hmm. And Kiefer says something like, that was the subject of a front-page Universe Today story. And I'm like, okay, way to point out the Easter egg from the first season. You know, great. <laughs> and I, I, he just shows up at their table, too. Like, he wasn't in, you know, you never saw him in the first season, but now he's here, like, hanging out with the main crew. I don't know. I, I kind of appreciate the fact that they kind of keep that thread going. But on the other hand, I just don't appreciate people reading uh, the the contemporary equivalent of uh, USA Today and acting like it's great news because USA Today is the worst paper that's ever been printed. Yeah, yeah it's an it's an awful paper. <laughs> so, first we we talk about hyperspace for a minute. From this episode, I really learned like a huge amount about hyperspace. Uh, the mm-hmm. jump gates are supposed to be like beacons for the ships to follow through all the red hyperspace cloudy crap, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and some ships actually have their own jump gates, but they take a lot of power and energy. Yeah, I mean, I think the way they put it is that they can form their own jump gates. Okay, they can yeah, form their own. Okay. It generally tends to be, not exclusively, but generally it tends to be larger ships, and yeah, I think it's a pretty energy-intensive thing. And that's why so, Captain Jacoby couldn't just get out of hyperspace, because they had mentioned that the power was not, was like 30% or something, so they couldn't form yeah. their own jump gate. Yeah, like probably most of the ships that come to Babylon 5 that are not capital ships can't form their own jump gates. That's very different, I guess, than Star Trek, where you know, everything has its own warp drive. It's an interesting way to like kind of make space a little smaller, right? Where, like, oh, yeah. In general, like, you know, you would think like, you know, basically an, a nearly infinite amount of space for people to approach in, d- dive off into, but... In this version, unless, yeah, you're dealing with one of these big capital ships, um, you actually have to kind of stick to the established trade routes to a great deal. Yeah, and it kind of limits just the, the the vastness of what they can do. All right, so anything else about this episode that we've missed? No, I think uh, I think we've covered it pretty well. I, I will say I, I do appreciate that they finally gave Kiefer, like, some something that's kind of interesting. I don't really like the actor or the character, but you know, the him having seen the shadow ship is a kind of nice little character beat. Yeah, he's so nineties bro. That's what he is. Yeah. Alright, shall we transition over to Abandoned? Oh yes, Abandoned. This is the one with the baby Jim Hadar. Yeah, so in the A plot we have Odo attempting to become a father figure for a Jim Hadar child that Quark found after he bought salvage from a Bosley captain. And in the B-plot, we have Cisco inviting Jake's Dabo girl girlfriend, Marta, over for Shrimp Creole with Mander Lasos. 
I was this was actually a fun episode. The thing about the Jim Hadar is I guess they all age pretty quickly. Is that my understanding? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, so they right. age very right. quickly. Well, at least they they mature. I think they mature pretty quickly, but then they stay adults maybe about I want to say maybe about 10 years and then they die. Okay. So like they slow down once they hit adulthood, but they don't they still don't live that long. Yeah, so this so this Jimadar baby goes from being a baby to a school-age child to a teenager and then to an adult Jimadar basically in this span of 40 minutes. Yeah, yeah, it's especially kind of funny because you've got the scene where Cisco is like babying, you know, what he doesn't yet realize is a Jim Hadar, and then yeah, pretty soon he's a surly teenager. It's a pretty funny transition. When Jim Hadar are babies, they're just like they look like human babies, just with like some nasty-looking stuff like on their forehead. Yeah, they get a lot more reptilian later. And then as they go school age, it's like they there's a little more to them. There's you can start to see it, and then full-on teenager, bam, you can tell they're Jim Hadar. Yeah, it's also kind of interesting that like the aggressiveness and the the uh, addiction to catch so white only seemed to kick in much later too. Uh, I, I wonder if that has had to do with the actors though. They didn't want like some little kid like going around like acting like he's gonna kill people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will say I'd forgotten Odo gave his bucket up this early in the show. Uh, you know, it's only like early season three, but for I, I just so associate him sleeping in a bucket. I'd forgotten that like he gets past that so early. Wasn't it just? It was just so sweet though when he put Kira's flowers in the bucket, wasn't it? It was just like one of those little aww. That's one of the nice things about how they write Odo and Kira in the show is that they don't just make Odo like creepily pine after kira they also have like kira occasionally make these kind of sweet gestures that like she clearly doesn't really understand that she likes odo but like clearly there's reason for it like it's not just it's not just like odo like creepily pining after kira for like five seasons it's like when they want to write good romance they they know how to do it but then when they want to write like just the uh yeah you know lusting or thirst it's pretty obvious. Yeah, I can't. I'm now blanking on like the specifics of like Trip and Topol's romance in Enterprise Two. That's yeah. I can't, I can't really remember how they handled Trip and Topol or Paris and Torres versus how they handle uh, Quark and o- or not Quark and Odo. Although I mean there is a subtext there, but but how they handle Odo and Kira. What do you think of uh, Jake Sisko's love interest, the much older Dabo girl? Uh, I mean she's fine. I don't. Much older seems like a stretch. It's only four years, although, I mean, granted, like, 16 to 20 is a pretty significant gap. Um, What's the age the, you can sit on DS9, Bob? I try not to ask those questions, Matt, because I don't <laughs> want to come off like I'm a libertarian. <laughs> I just don't want to get anybody in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> oh, man. I did appreciate, like, Cisco's like, initial hostility to Jake yeah. and uh, Marta, you know, like, the, him telling O'Brien, like, I don't want to like her. And uh, I also kind of appreciated O'Brien sort of admiring, uh, you know, Jake's game. That was also pretty fun. Yeah, I mean, Marta gives Cisco like, a lesson, a real lesson in judging someone by their profession. And that one scene, the, the dinner scene, that was some really great acting from Avery Brooks. Yeah, I'm... I'm going to refrain from comment on that so I don't get canceled. <laughs> when it comes to the Jim Hadar, when he's growing and stuff, I think my favorite was definitely teenage Jim Hadar with the very long hair. <laughs> I mean, really, like they don't have hair. They barely have hair at any other stage, but this this, this point, 
I, I thought that was uh, almost like just a nod to teenagers in general just having the long hair i think they were i mean it might it might be that like you know because of like military discipline blah 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 they cut it when they're adults right but i mean he he lost his hair pretty quick though towards the end (laughs) i don't know if it just falls out (laughs) like oh you're getting your hair in 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 addition to being programmed to being uh bigoted and to being uh drug addicts they're programmed to shave once they hit like the human equivalent of like 21 (laughs) poor jim hador you could really see though this episode was focused on like the whole fatherhood, with Cisco mm-hmm. dealing with Jake, and then his initial connection with the Jim Hadar baby, and then like Odo leading the Jim Hadar into like early adulthood and kind of teaching him, you know, how he doesn't have to constantly kill and murder people. It was a different role for Odo, and I kind of I appreciated it because it wasn't something you see very often him taking under taking someone under his wing. Yeah, although he he actually I think he does it fairly often, right? Like he's got this kind of real like protective sense of other beings that he feels like are in a similar position to him. Like the two examples that come to mind are like his sort of like protective attitude towards the pocket universe from last season. And then also like, you know, when he, he meets the baby changeling like way, I think that's like season five or six. Yeah. That's way down the road. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't think about the pocket universe thing, but for me, this was like him taking into someone to, to train them. I mean, I guess you could kind of say he did the same thing sort of with Kira. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think you are right, though, that, like, even though, like, him having an affection for strays or a sympathy for strays is well-established, like, seeing him, like, directly in, like, a fathering role, like, you know, in parallel with Cisco is kind of new and kind of interesting. On the other side of this, though, I want to talk about consequences or the lack thereof, okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to frame this for you, and you kind of help me figure out if I'm wrong here or right. I'm most likely going to be wrong, but it's okay. So I get, <laughs> I get Odo not wanting to hand the Jim Hadar over to be experimented upon. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because it shadows the way that Odo was treated by the Cardassians. I get mm-hmm. that. But Cisco did have like orders. And then mm-hmm. we know Odo comes back to the station after returning the Jim Hadar to his home world. Mm-hmm. And there are no repercussions. Yeah, I mean, I think it more or less makes sense the way this presents it. I mean, it maybe stretches credulity a little, but, like, on the one hand, like, the those orders are built on the assumption that it, the Jim'Hadar is the child, and he's no longer a child. And so, you know, Federation the, makes a big deal of, like, respecting, like, individual initiative, individual rights, that sort of stuff. And so there's that issue. Then there's also the issue that Odo is not actually in the Starfleet hierarchy, even though he, you know, holds a position that, you know, a Starfleet person might usually hold. And then there's also the posi- the issue that Cisco is going to run cover for him because, you know, he says in that last scene, I'll tell Admiral Necheyev that there was no way we could have kept him here and without killing him, you know, yeah. him being the Jim Hadar. And so I think between those three facts that, like, he can appeal to the Jim Hadar self-determination. He's not actually in Starfleet, and he has Cisco running cover for him. It more or less makes sense. Yeah, but it just reminds me of like the whole dream thing where Odo ends up getting replaced by an actual Starfleet officer. <laughs> like, this, this seems like the kind of grounds for that. You know what I mean? Like, okay, yeah. this is what happened. Uh, we're going to need you to... Well, and they, they already have introduced Eddington, right? But wasn't that on the, the dream thing or whatever? Like the, the whole Jim Hadar? Was that not part of that? I, I thought that was in the first part 
back when like Odo was also freaking out because you know his genetic compulsion to return to the founder's home world. But I, it's hard to remember. Yeah, I'll have to go back and look at that. I think you may be right. I do remember Eddington, but I thought he was part of the whole. What if every? Well, no, they replaced Dax. I take that back. I'm wrong. They replaced Dax. They were going to replace Dax as the science officer. Yeah, yeah, else. that that was in the dream sequence in the search part two. Yeah, yeah. But regardless, though, it still fits with like uh, Odo already is up for replacement at this point. I mean, I, I feel like that would happen if it were real. It kind of reminds me of like Dax going off to murder the Klingons and uh, murder with the Klingons and Blood Oath. Yeah, I mean, in in partly it's just the you know the reality of doing like a weekly uh, a weekly episodic show where you know to some extent like the episodes can't consequences can't echo that far back, right? Because you know you want to keep Dax and Odo around, but also like again you know I think they were very careful to show. Um, Dax like not killing any Cleons in Blood Oath, which admittedly is kind of unbelievable. Yeah, it's super unbelievable. But, yeah, but on the on the other hand, like if I recall right, Cisco didn't explicitly order her not to do it. He was just strongly discouraging her not to do it. And then like Quark, also in like every other episode, and we've talked about this uh, a lot in the other uh, in the other podcast. But like, it seems like Quark, you know, can get away with whatever he wants. But he's such a good yeah. informant for DS9 that whatever, just <laughs> stay Although, like, Quark also, like, frequently, he, he'll do something that, like, severely compromises the station, but then he'll, ma- he'll make up for it in some way. Yeah. Like, that usually seems to be the, di- the dynamic of those Quark episodes. Quark has to have a redemption piece to his plot every episode. All right. How about uh, Thirst Watch this week, Matt? Oh, gosh. Thirst Watch... Franklin was thirsty for Ravana. The good grief! That was the like that was a cringe '90s scene right there. That yeah, complimenting today. her frontiers. Yeah, her uh, nice frontiers. For for any of our incel listeners out there, that's really what any woman wants to hear is her frontiers complimented. Yeah. And he uh, her diet though, of course, is that Franklin wants her to gain weight, and Ivana was not happy. Temporarily, about that. yeah, temporarily, temporarily gain weight. I guess to fill in her curves. I'm like, God, it's just cringe. And then, uh, you know, at the very beginning of the episode of DS9, Quark is compromising his profits for, you know, a little action. That's why we end up with the baby Jim Hadar. That, what are those aliens called? That the one licking his ears. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. They're uh, she's what would you say? She's a Boslik. Her name is Rioni. She's shown up before, and I think she'll show up like one one time more. Yeah, I remember her from a previous episode, but she like just starts licking uh, corks here. It's pretty, pretty uh, nasty. And then Jake and Marta were very handsy, you know. And Marta knows how to uh, work the Davo table. She does. She does. She works that high roller very well. Yeah, and O'Brien admires it. Uh, we're all good. Lots of lots of thirst this week. Yeah, yeah. So you spotted the you spotted the thirst, Matt. But could you spot the shadows? Yeah, we're going to start instigating this, the Shadow Watch, because I, I need to be sure I keep up with when these shadows are showing up, since this whole season is the, the coming of shadows, correct? Yes, the coming of the shadows. The coming of the shadows, yes. So I want to make sure I don't miss anything here. So we do see a sh- in Shadow Watch, we're going to talk about where the shadows show up and what I know so far about them. We see a shadow ship in hyperspace. Uh, the question is, though, uh, that I'm posing to you, and I guess just asking in general is, was it going to Babylon 5 because Kiefer had to follow its signal or used its signal to get its 
to get back to Babylon Five. I'm I'm gonna say no because okay. he, like he explicitly says he has to kind of do it at like a perpendicular angle. So it, it like, it, you know, it, it, probably it's no coincidence that there's this shadow sh- ship lurking in hyperspace near the near Babylon Five's jump gate. But I no, I don't think that shadow ship is particularly going to going to the station like you're not going to see it next episode unless i've just totally misremembered the next episode so do shadow ships have their own jump can they form their own jump gates okay yes okay gotcha so they wouldn't be like shooting through babylon 5's jump gate all right um they they might come out of the babylon 5 jump gate but i think they like, but I think like the Cortez, they can form their own, if I remember right. Because like, just because the Cortez can form its own doesn't mean it always would. Like, if there's a jump gate near near Babylon Five, it'll just come out of that one. Okay, that makes sense. And then, of course, I, I, we mentioned this a little earlier, but Maynard did see something out on the rim or out towards hyperspace, and we're just going to assume that was a shadow ship as well. So, so yeah, far, that seems right. Kiefer and Maynard have seen shadow ships, so scariness. All right. Who was your uh, character of the week, Matt? Um, mine goes to Captain Maynard. He's a fun space cowboy, but I bet we never see him again. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Jacoby is pretty great. Um, for mine this week, I'm actually going to give it to Jake. Uh, he doesn't get a lot of great episodes. Um, a couple of his future episodes i actually really dislike including some that people like think pretty highly of i just really really don't like them but uh i thought he was pretty fun i mean granted this episode was trying very hard to paint him as like a you know a smooth poet hustler who's you know seducing an older dabo girl that sort of stuff but i thought it mostly worked and uh he's you know compared to the other uh, star trek teens he's so much cooler than wesley or Echeb. what about episode of the week I guess I'd go with Abandoned. I mean, Distant Star does have a lot to recommend it. I like Dr. Jacoby in Command of a Starship. I like the build-up on the shadows. But Abandoned just works a lot better as a whole unit of an episode. You you, you already know my answer is Abandoned because uh, that diet subplot just killed Distant Star. Damn, Dr. Franklin just ruining your week on Babylon 5. Yeah, he really did. He He ruined the episode. Thank you, Dr. Franklin. So next week, we're looking at B5 Season 2, Episode 5, The Long Dark, and DS9 Season 2, Episode 7, Civil Defense. Uh, yeah, I've got to admit, I, I remember nothing about either of these. Okay, I do remember Civil Defense. It's where O'Brien and Jake are, like, messing around. They're trying to, like, convert some, like, part of the station to be used to something else but when they go to do oh, it and they trigger the Cardassian security system yeah they trigger they trigger the system and it's like okay, Goldie Cot a... screaming in the screen the whole time yeah I remember that as fun but but inessential yeah it, uh, I, yeah it's not very I don't think it's essential at all but it's still it's still a, a fun episode at least nice right. nice and, well we'll look forward to covering that next time this has been Babylon 5 versus DS9 I am Bob from Cascadia I've had Matt from the Southland on the line. Have a great night, everybody. Thanks for listening.